Yes, with um, Ben being overseas for two weeks, uh, Phil took last week. Wasn't that a blessing to um, to realise that there's the, the imagery in the Old Testament of uh, the places that, that Abraham went. Now, this is what stood out for me, was that Abraham was called out from Ur of the Chaldees, the place of idolatry in the, um, the multiple demons that were uh, controlling society. He was called out of that. And uh, it was almost as if the desire that was built in Abraham's heart was to uh, be able to worship the one true God in his own land. And uh, that was the promise to him. And uh, anyway, the towns, they, they got down to, um, to Canaan and there they were between, they made a camp, the first camp between Bethel and Ai, midway between the house of God, the meaning of Bethel and the meaning of Ai, destruction. And uh, eventually um, Abraham, Abram, came to be staying with a bit of wandering and a few things. He came to be staying at Bethel. The, the house of God, and uh, we can take that to heart as a, a spiritual picture for us of the uh, the walk of the Christian. Our Lord God will pursue us once we've committed our lives to Him. Once we have submitted to His rule, once we say to Him, "He's Lord," He's so pleased to to rule our lives and bring us out of. Uh, whatever situations we might be in that are not ideal and he will bring us to a place in our spiritual lives that's, that's like a Bethel, the house of God, the very place that God would have us. And, uh, I found that a blessing. Anyway, today, um, let's go to the Old Testament, to the book of Ezekiel, and we'll look at chapters 38 and 39. Yeah, while we're turning there, the... Um, uh, this year, 2017, is the 50th anniversary of the Israeli Six-Day War. And uh, the, if you follow some of the, the news reports, there have been, um, been celebrations and so on of it. But those who don't necessarily recall it, but in 1967, the, um, the Arab neighbours to Israel... Uh, had a confederacy and they attacked Israel and uh, it only took six days but God gave them, the Israelis, a miraculous victory against hundreds of thousands of, of troops against them and air forces that somehow didn't work and all sorts of things that the Lord allowed to happen. Now out of that, Israel took territory from the uh, neighbouring countries and it was only on the third day of the, of the six-day war, halfway through, that the, uh, the Israelis took Jerusalem. And um, that is one of the events that has been significantly um, remembered by the Israelis, the taking of Jerusalem. But of course, Jerusalem was uh, so high in the mind of the, the Hebrew people right from David's time on. That was the place where where God's presence was in the old times and so on. So, yeah, it just seems to me that that plus take the 1973 uh, war, another miraculous event, but it, to me it's God's kind hand 
keeping his covenant with Israel. It was a covenant, first of all, uh, with Abraham, and he, uh, when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, his, his covenant, his promise to Abraham and his descendants would, was to be their God, Elohim, that, uh, that, that lovely plural word in, in the Hebrew for God. And, uh, and to also to give them the land. So he was honouring that, that promise. Now, take this in the light of what, what I've just put. There, on the 10th of June, a former Israeli defence minister, Amir Peretz, he wrote an article in the Jerusalem Post about the anniversary. And uh, he was... He was focused on Jerusalem. But the heading that caught my eye was Six-Day War was more than just military power. And uh, I thought, oh, hello, they're honouring God. But no, no, of course not. Uh, <laughs> he attributed the uh, victory to the, uh, the spirit and the land of the uh, military commanders, the generals. They certainly had that. They were, that were amazing. But... Um, also to the spirit of the people. So, not the spirit of God. Anyway, um, with that in mind also, uh, we'll, we'll be looking at chapters 38 and 39 in Ezekiel. Now, the, uh, the prophecy here to Ezekiel, it speaks of a time that God will save Israel in such a way that the people as a nation will repent and turn to God. And uh, uh, the prophecy states that the victory that the, the Lord will bring will cause the world observing to, um, to know in no uncertain terms that it, it was God's hand, that it was a, a miracle that they saved. Um, now just quickly for context, in Ezekiel we have lots of prophecies. Um, from chapter 36 through to the end, we, we have specific prophecies that are, are declared to be the last days prophecies. So chapter 36 speaks of the agriculture being restored um, in, in the land. Well, we've certainly seen that. That's been um, evidenced in, um, in Israel, in Palestine then, uh, since you know, Grandfather's Day sort of thing and Great-Grandfather's Day. For over a century now, the uh, the Jewish people have been purchasing land in, had been purchasing land in Palestine as it was then, despite the opposition of the uh, the Turks who, who had the country at that time. Uh, they would purchase it and um, basically the, the local uh, Arab people would sell them the rubbish land you know, the swamps and things like that. And, uh, <laughs> and you know what came out of it? God's grace. The, uh, um, the farmers would drain the swamps. They would take away all of the sand that had blown over the, the productive land and, uh, and there was a land regeneration. They've planted millions of trees on the mountains. So what was once a, a, a barren, naked country country you've you've got forests now on the mountains you've you've got wonderful productive land um, 
Israel exports agricultural products to Europe like anything. They, you know, one of the comments I had was that um, uh, Israel supplies all the flowers that, that uh, Europe want. <laughs> they, they have so much productivity. Um, a generation ago, it used to be citrus was the, the big thing, but um, that's being turned over to other crops. Um, I saw a mention of um, avocados and things like that. But anyway, they've, God's allowed them to, to have irrigation that uh, has uh, produced wonderful agriculture, but it's God's grace. Now, chapter 37, that's the dry bones prophecy that everyone knows about. Um, God bringing the dry bones back into living beings. And uh, it's been well received that that would be a prophecy of uh, the establishment of the State of Israel in 1948. And then the subsequent migration of... Um, well, prior to that, there was a lot of migration, but subsequent mass migration of the Jewish people back to the land. So there are millions of, um, of Jewish people there now. And, um, of course, there are, there are commentators who, who would refute that, but um, I think it's lovely. I, th I think it fits beautifully. So we now see Israel um, in stark contrast to their, their neighbours, uh, that it's a land that flourishes with agriculture, technology, technology. They're, you know, the I work for IBM. The uh, the IBM lab in Israel is just the world beater. <laughs> you know, if you want something done, you send it to them. Oh, look, the blessing on Jacob is is still there. Um, they export, and they've discovered huge gas reserves just off the coast in the Mediterranean area. But um, you don't see that sort of development happening in the surrounding nations. So we say it's the Lord God. Um, so definitely this prophecy that we will look at in chapter 38 and 39 has not been fulfilled. Uh, some commentators before 1948 struggled to find uh, a fulfilment of it. Um, yeah, even to the um, what was it, Aristarchus Epiphanes, the fellow in the uh, um, uh, when when the uh, when the Greeks had uh, control of of, um, of Israel back in the uh, the later BC years, uh, but that doesn't really fit. Another commentator believed that it, it is it was purely uh, spiritualizing but um, where we are now in 2017 we've we've got to say that surely God has um, a specific um, actual invasion that this talks about in mind uh, okay now um, yeah let's let's pray a bit first yeah, heavenly Lord we uh, we lift our hearts to you. We lift our spirits to you. We we expect to hear from you in your word. We we do desire, as is our practice, to uh, to seek to to find you, to submit to your rule. Your word is is above all else. You honour your name and you honour your word, and and we bless you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now, Mr. Ezekiel, he was born in Jerusalem around about 622 BC. And that was around the time when Jeremiah had his ministry. He was prophesying. So, so it was a time of trouble. Um, Ezekiel and his wife were sent with the exiles to Babylon, thanks to King Nebuchadnezzar. And, of course, that was deliberate from the Lord. Okay, well, let's, let's have a look here. Verse 1 of chapter 38. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Josh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O God, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Goma and all its troops, the house of Tagama from the far north, and all its troops, many people are with you. So we, we have a an introduction there to um, to the prophecy. Ezekiel is instructed by God to address the prophecy to Gog. He is the ruler of the land of Magog, and he will conceive the idea and execute an invasion of Israel. And the reason will be to take plunder. Now, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy against him and say, Behold, I am against you, O Gog. How dreadful, how dreadful we, we think to oppose God. Yeah, remember Pharaoh when Moses and Aaron came to him? You know, let my people go. Pharaoh resisted God and uh, there was certainly no, no success in that for, for Pharaoh. And in the same way, There'll be no success for the uh, for the prince of Magog when he resists the Lord God and and comes as uh, an invader. Just quickly looking at the people mentioned, uh, Magog. Uh, so remember, this is from um, the six hundreds BC. Um, so anyway, Josephus tells us that there were uh, a people called the Scythians, uh, that's the Greek name, um, who lived in the north and the northwest of the Black Sea. Um, so north of the Black Sea is, is the Ukraine and, um, and Russia. Um, so northwest is, you could say, the Crimea pen Peninsula. Uh, now, that was annexed by Russia in 2014. Rosh, Meshech and Tubal are also identified uh, with ancient tribes who lived in the area that's now Russia. Uh, so quite reasonably, we can say Gog is the uh, ruler of Russia uh, he, as the prince of Magog. Uh, Persia, that's current-day Iran, uh, Ethiopia or Kush is regarded as 
being that the same area as modern Ethiopia, uh, ancient Libya or Put. Please help me with pronunciations. That corresponds to current Libya. Uh, Goma and Togoma, uh, they are tribes placed in uh, modern-day Turkey. And even before the prophecy gives any more details, you note that Gog is to be informed that God will turn him around, put hooks in his jaws and lead him out. So he's told that he'll be defeated and, uh, and that he will have no choice but to retreat. Now, it goes on to talk about the preparedness of, of Gog's armies. Uh, he's outfitted his military splendidly clothed, each member with weapons of defence, the bucklers and shields and helmets and offence, weapons of offence, the swords, uh, the horses, they have transport, uh, they are mobile. So you get the impression they, they could move swiftly. Okay, now verse 7. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. This is to Gog. After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Um, just further there on the, the readiness for war, the, um, uh, we have a very well-equipped army coming to invade and overrun uh, a land that's at peace. And uh, uh, the descriptions of the restoration of the, the Jewish people and the land are in, in, in these verses. But just thinking about Russia, uh, today uh, there's certainly a preparedness for Russia to go to war. Uh, last year the uh, Russian military uh, numbers, uh, as published by the Ministry of Defence there, showed that there were close to a million personnel in the armed forces, which was given as... Um, not the, the full percentage of their uh, requirement. Uh, now, they also have two million in the reserves. That would be ex-Army, Navy, Air Force or whatever uh, personnel who are in reserves. So the massive numbers. Uh, 2012, it was estimated that Russia's annual defence budget was in the order in US dollars of 90 billion uh, it's also worthy to note that Russia is the, the world's third highest exporter of military arms and equipment. So we can surmise that the current position of, of Russia militarily fits with the preparation for, for the fulfilment of, of the prophecy in our times. The, um, the armies that come are huge, like a storm, yeah. tremendous overkill and uh, they'll cover the land like a cloud. So we've, we could see the potential for millions of, 
of personnel to be sent there. So, verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish and all the young lions will say to you, Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? So here we have a description of Gog conceiving the idea that it, uh, Israel will be easy plunder. Um, the um, the position at the moment with with Russia and uh, their resources, they they're a major supplier of gas, and uh, Israel will become a competitor for the gas market into Europe with the massive reserves they've discovered just off the coast of on into Mediterranean. So that, to my mind, there's also another um, extension of the motivation for um, uh, for Russia to, to have the idea of the invasion. At the moment, we would say that the Israelis do not uh, live in peace and un having unwalled in concept um, cities. They are the most uh, fierce defenders. Uh, they, they have their conscription and their army. Uh, they, they have a well-deserved reputation. And, uh, and so immediately at the moment that will tell us that the prophecy can't happen tomorrow, so to speak. Something has to happen to cause the Israelis to live at peace. And uh, I shouldn't offer too much conjecture, but, but consider that um, the teaching about the, uh, the tribulation when the Antichrist uh, comes on the scene at the, the start of the time, uh, there is a a strong teaching which has a lot of uh, merit for me that uh, Antichrist will broker a deal so that the Israelis can build their temple on the Temple Mount. And, uh, and that definitely fits with the, um, uh, the revelation account of um, measuring the temple site. Do not measure the outer court. It's, it's with the... Uh, the Gentiles, and they will tread it down. Um, those sorts of teachings that you'd, you'd know about uh, would fit with Israel becoming um, uh, less defensive. Uh, once they have that treaty that, that is considered to be um, 
imminent as soon as the tribulation starts with uh, Antichrist that, uh, that there may be the case that they would be living at peace and they would uh, relax their guard somewhat. And uh, that's, that's my conjecture. Now, going on with the verses there, there are protests from other countries, but they, they're certainly not coming to Israel's aid. And today, um, the USA is the, uh, the main defender for, or main ally for Israel, but under the previous president, uh, that was watered down so much. Um, you could see this, this sort of situation coming through. So we have Sheba and Dedan. Now, they're identified as tribes that are now the Saudis, uh, merchants of Tarshish. Um, I've seen suggestions that that's either Britain or Spain, uh, but both uh, were, were heavily colonising uh, countries. So the young lions uh, could be taken to be the, uh, the colonies, or ex-colonies, I should say, of either of these countries, and, uh, and of course that would be the USA, most definitely would come into that. And uh, a little Aussie too. Eh? <laughs> We'd be in there, not us specifically. Anyway, never mind. Um, so politically, you can see that the stage is set for um, uh, those sorts of things. Now there's... Um, uh, in the description of the countries, there's an alliance there between Russia and Islamic nations. And um, you would say, how in the world could they get away with an invasion when the US is is on the scene? I mean, they've they just got to you mention the, uh, you know, just an offhand way, the, uh, got the nukes, you know. And uh, <laughs> those guys would back off. But don't we see the um, the signs of maybe what's escalating the uh, the Islamic terror around the world is ha has the potential to cripple countries. Um, yeah. Let me say these poor misguided young fellows who think they have the right to do what they do, but um, maybe under Allah He gives them that, but not under the Lord God. Um, you know, taking out uh, main uh, communication areas or, um, you know, demoralising things like are happening in, in the UK at the moment. The, those sorts of things would certainly come to mind for taking uh, the USA out of the game there of defending Israel even. That, that's a, a thing. Uh, Europe too, uh, you know, there's lots of talk of Russia um, no longer being beholden to Europe with NATO because they now have, uh, like I was saying before, the control over the gas supplies. Um, most of Europe is uh, very heavily dependent on Russia for the gas, you know, in their, their very cold winters. Uh, anyway, the, the scene's set. All right, verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you. 
all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You'll come, against, you'll come up against my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? So we've got a repetition here of the earlier part of the prophecy. Um, You know, as preachers always tell us, you know, look out when God repeats himself. uh, You know what the kids are like at home? When mum says something twice, yeah, well. When dad says twice, that's when you look. (laughs) It's a bit like that. So, yeah, they should be watching out. Okay, um, so repetition. The invaders will come from the north, they will cover the land. But we have an addition here in, in verse 16 that he, God, will bring them into the land. Gog will be brought there. Uh, under God's hand. So we think again of um, of Pharaoh and Moses. You know, the statement in the scriptures that, that just scares you when you read it, that um, more or less, yeah, God cemented Pharaoh's desires. We think, is it Psalm 37? Now God will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, may they be godly desires for each individual. But um, so here we have the addition that that is our Lord God who who permits, but He also surely uh, strengthens the idea in Gog's mind that He He should invade because He'll He'll make money out of it. Eh? Hmm. And of course we we've read of the um, uh, the reason there in verse 16 and of course the reason is so that the nations the rest of the world will know that God exists that he is and that he rules now verse 18 and it will come to pass at that same time at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel says the Lord God that my fury will show in my face For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel, so that the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth shall shake at my presence. The mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. And I will bring him to judgment with pestilence and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So 
we have here that uh, God's fury will be ignited by the uh, the invasion. Um, it's put in language that we can understand. <laughs> um, so we now see the uh, how God will defend Israel. There's a huge earthquake, major destruction. Um, then the invaders uh, fight each other. The Lord will call for a sword and then we're told where the sword will come from. Every man's sword will be against his brother. And um, I guess it's not so strange when you, you look at the allies with Russia uh, the Muslim countries of different sects. Uh, Persia, they're Shia, right? Yep. And all the others, as I read, are all Sunni. And uh, we don't need to go any further with, with that. The, the uh, enmity between the two sects is, is just amazing. Um, now, God doesn't stop there. He brings Gog under judgment. He will bring pestilence and bloodshed. He'll bring flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone. So uh, it'll be that uh, uh, the natural elements will um, be used by the Lord to uh, bring down the... Um, this massive army that that's like a cloud over the land that's just covered the land, and um, you know, one of the commentators couldn't believe that that our wonderful Lord God would would allow so many millions of people to be to be killed in um, in an act of his uh, defence of Israel, but. Consider the events that are um, I'm putting in context. If it's during the uh, the tribulation time, the revelation tells us that the um, uh, the world population will be decimated during the the uh, the time of the tribulation, and uh, I, I I can still believe that, ghastly as it is, this would fit into that. Um, uh, that sort of uh, time frame and uh, and what was happening is is going to be happening then. Um, and so, yeah, we 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 get to to see again the um, the reason for it happening. It'll become obvious to the world and to Israel that it's an act of God, the defence of Israel, when they should have been utterly uh, decimated with enormous odds against them. Um, makes you think of Gideon, doesn't it? <laughs> the guys with a, um, with a clay pot and a, and a trumpet and, and, uh, and a flame or something. It's a, you're going to win with that? Yeah, well, <laughs> no. Nah, God said do it, so you do it. Right, let's, let's go to chapter 39, verse 1. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. And I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the, the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. 
Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field, for I have spoken, says the Lord. And I will send the fire on Magog and on those who live in, who live in security in the coastlands. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Uh, so chapter 39, we've got a, th- a third repetition and uh, of the, uh, the prophecy. And this is when you say, oh boy, <laughs> this is dad talking. Got to watch this one. So... Um, Gog will be defeated. Now it says that Gog himself will will die. He will perish in Israel at this time too. And uh, significantly, I, I don't see any mention of Israel fighting. Um, we know that they have a significant army now, and it's, uh, it's been leaked, but probably not officially said that they have nukes, uh, so all, all sorts of things are possible. But anyway, we are told that the, uh, the armies will, will fall on the mountains um, and uh, on the open plains, so all over Israel there'll be, um, there'll be corpses. Putrefaction, just dreadful thing. And... Uh, We know what it's like now. Um, our our armed forces in Australia will go to any lengths to retrieve the bodies of of our fallen. Uh, we have ongoing um, uh, investigations in Vietnam, trying to locate the remains of of the uh, of the fellows who are still missing. Um, it's um, it's it's like a, as a na- as a nation we would want to honour the um, um, the sacrifice of of our of our soldiers and and the families and uh, as a to honour them we would uh, retrieve their remains but here we have a case where millions probably of of fellows have have been Men and women have, have been slaughtered, and uh, and so probably adding further insult, the uh, the wild animals, the birds and the animals, are feasting on the corpses. Oh dear, it's um, you know, you you read of First World War with the enormous great rats <laughs> feasting on the corpses. Oh, ghastly! But um, um so. Gog's army will will fall, beaten by the elements, and uh, uh, there'll be no one there to um, to retrieve the bodies, because it it also says that uh, Magog and those who live in security in the coastlands will will have fire sent on them, whatever that means, nukes or something. So the home countries are included in the judgment. On Gog, and uh, and so they won't be sending 
teams to retrieve them. Um, anyway, down to verse 7. So I'll make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name any more. Then the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Surely it is coming, and it shall be done, says the Lord God. This is the day which I have, of which I have spoken. Yeah. So we know this time that the people of Israel will come to repentance. They will find their Messiah. They will find Jesus Christ and uh, the one who, who they will mourn over of, of what has been missed and what has been done to him because they will know there's no other reason that they were spared other than the Lord God, jealous of his name and of his own people. The Lord says he will do it. But we know our, our master is utterly trustworthy and worthy of all honour. He would not let anything happen that would even appear to... Um, to break his promises. He is trustworthy beyond all measure. Now to verse 9. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both shields and bucklers, the bows and arrows, the javelins, the spears. They will make fires with them for seven years. They will not take wood from the field nor cut down any from the forests, because they will make fires with the weapons and they will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillaged them, says the Lord God. Well, glory to God, eh? Those that came to plunder Israel become the plunder themselves. So to such an extent that Israel will have fuel for seven years so they, they can export all that gas that they find. <laughs> Oh dear. Anyway, verse 11. It will come to pass that in, sorry, it will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will obstruct travellers because there they will bury Gog and all his multitude. Therefore they will call it the valley of Haman Gog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. They will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months they will make a search. The search party will pass through the land and anyone see. And when anyone sees a, a man's bone, he shall set up a marker by it till the buriers have buried it in the valley of Hamongog. The name of their city will also be Hamonach. Thus they shall cleanse the land. So we hear specifically what happens to the, the remains. Uh, it's left to Israel to bury the dead. It's saying initially the whole of the nation is involved with, with the burying. Um, 
I know with with ancient Israel under the law, the um, uh, handling the dead was a, uh, a cause to make you unclean. Uh, but th this is a case of necessity, this one. Um, eventually, after seven months, the um, they will have uh, people who are employed to... Um, to look after the burials. Anyone who sees a bone will set up a marker so they will not deal with it themselves. So um, some commentators would suggest that uh, not touching them which would be because they're radioactive or something. And maybe there was a uh, some sort of nuke, but um, also it could be because of the people returning to the Lord. And they've come to the law and the... Uh, um, they would set aside those who uh, would be defiled by touching the, the remains. Um, that would quite possibly fit with the um, the revival, the massive revival through the, the country. So the, uh, the dead will be buried in a valley to the east of the sea. So we've got two seas there in Israel, the Sea of Galilee... Uh, and the sea, uh, the Dead Sea. So somewhere over towards Jordan, there'll be a valley that that will be a massive cemetery, such that it will block the travellers who um, who want to go through that valley. Now, verse seventeen. And as for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God: Speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come, gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. A great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty, drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams and lambs, of goats and bulls. All of them f fatlings of, of Bashan, you shall eat fat till you are full and drink blood till you are drunk at my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you. You shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men and with all the men of war, says the Lord God. I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed, and my hand, which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. So we see again a repetition. Uh, this one is expounded more. Uh, repetition of verse 4. Wild animals uh, will, will probably strip the, the corpses to the bones, which certainly would make it easier for the, the clean-up teams. Um, Yeah, so dealing with this enormous task, um, we don't hear of any other countries coming to aid Israel again. Um, so, yeah, we've, we see God's grace that he deals with this putrefaction by sending the wild animals. Um, it's again stated that Israel will repent knowing that there was no other explanation but that God intervened on their behalf as opposed to the current day 
opinion of the uh, Six Day War, for example. Um, now, uh, verse 23. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore, I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hand of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according, and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me. When they dwelt safely in their own land, and no one made them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who sent them into captivity amongst the nations, among the nations, and also brought them back to their land, and left none of them captive any longer. And I will not hide my face from them any more. For I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. Uh, so we have a reiteration of the, um, the intention of, of God in allowing the invasion and uh, that he would, he would be hallowed before the, uh, the world. Uh, the world would know that this was an act of God. This, this was God because he's real. Uh, Israel will know that that um, there was no other way than than through him. It should also be um, noted that that this draws out the reason why God sent Israel into exile. So we had seventy A.D. when um, Jerusalem was was sacked, and uh, so many Jewish people uh, were, were sent off to Rome, uh, slaves, and so on. Uh, they were spread all over. Um, God did not exile Israel in times past for any other reason than their disobedience. Uh, he would have protected them if they'd obeyed him. And uh, and so, you know, some people would even want to reproach God, but he, he only deserves praise and honour. He's, he's steadfast and straight, showing true integrity. He keeps his word. Although he shows mercy, doesn't he? And he doesn't give the deserving uh, punishment to, to us. He, just, he asks us to, um, to confess and repent, and that what grace to us. So it's wrong to reproach God for dealing with the iniquity of uh, Israel or with the iniquity in, in, in the church. He should be honoured so much. And he will pour out his spirit on Israel at that time and there will be repentance, wholehearted repentance. And uh, if this is happening in the uh, tribulation years, um, in repenting, at that time, Israel is a witness to the world. And it just reminds me of a comment that I've, I read from Richard Wormbrand, that Israel is God's rear guard. They're, the, uh, they're kept in unbelief until the right time. 
he has a role for them at the end of the world. So, what does this mean for us? <laughs> it's all very nice to have conjecture and, and think about what will happen in the future. Um, God records Scripture, the the Word, for our own good, doesn't He? He um, He records it for for Israel, for their own good, but for every Gentile to come to repentance. And um, with the scene being set, we can be sure that the um, uh, the return that our Lord Jesus promised when he would come for his bride, for his church, must be imminent. The, the scene is set for, for all things. So... The exhortation is, may we be each found about his work when he comes. May we not be the slacking off servants, but may we be about his work. Also, may we seek God and uh, as a fellowship and as individuals, may we seek God to avoid the sin of Pharaoh and Gog when they resisted God in their pride. Um, The um, I guess the temptation is um, uh, is always there that um, in our country uh, we have power um, we have wealth uh, but may our prosperity and comfort not be a source of pride in us because God is the one who supplied it. And he's the one who provides and maintains. He has redeemed us to uh, to bring us to himself for his own glory, for his own good purposes, and may we obey him. Oh, may the Lord not have to bring calamity on us before he finds repentance and humility of heart before him. And may we each keep short accounts and uh, and seek him. Remember 1 John 1. Uh, verse eight to ten, verses eight to ten. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. So, on a individual level, level, uh, I I take it to heart that. Uh, as God convicts me, I must confess and agree with him and make good any restitutions that he's requiring of me. Of me. May we trust him, believe him, obey him. And uh, God is good and he only ever desires good for us. And may we not be here to see the, the events of the prophecy. May the Lord of, of, um, of glory, the Prince of Peace, may, may he come for us. Okay, amen. Let's pray. A wonderful Heavenly Father, we're, we know the, um, the proverb that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We fear you. May we be wise before you. May we not resist you. Whatever you demand of us, whatever you ask of us, is good, 
because you can do nothing else but good. We seek the peace of our nation. We seek the uh, the freedom from calamity for our fellowship and our, as individuals, may we submit to your rule. We come before you as your kids. We confess that we have pride. We confess that uh, we've, we've come to the point of, of believing that we know better and uh, we confess that. Dear Father, may you stir our spirits, may you convict us to follow you more closely. May we please you in all things. May we commit our ways to you for the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.